welcome to today's episode of the Pediatric Consult. I'm Dr. Paul Bunch, your host for today. I'm a pediatrician in the Cincinnati area, and I'm excited to be here for today's discussion. We really hope that our listeners can take away some practical information for this topic. Today, we will consult Dr. Kim Rizma and Tricia Wendling, a nurse practitioner, both from the Division of Allergy and Immunology at Cincinnati Children's. Uh, today's topic is reactions associated with antibiotics, a common issue among pediatric patients. To start off, I'd like to remind our listeners that much of today's information from our discussion can be found in the Cincinnati Children's Community Practice Support Tool on antibiotic-associated rash. Let's start by getting to know our guests a little bit today. So, uh, Dr. Risma, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, um, how long you've been practicing, uh, special areas of interest that you have, how long you've been at Children's? Thanks. Yeah, first, you can call me Kim. Thank you. <laughs> um, I am just now celebrating 26 years at Cincinnati Children's. Came for my pediatric residency and haven't left mm. yet. I've been in the Division of Allergy as faculty since 2005. And um, <clears throat> I see patients with um, rare disorders uh, related to immune deficiency, common disorders related to all things allergic, and the closest thing I get to primary care is um, evaluating children with antibiotic-associated rashes, and that has been a, a really fun uh, journey. Excellent. That's definitely something we need your expertise in the community, so it's mm -hmm. great to have you. Uh, Tricia, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I am a nurse practitioner in the Cincinnati area for about 28 years now. Most of that experience has been in primary care, and then I uh, transitioned over to um, allergy back in 2019 and have been working in the penicillin allergy testing service since then. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Um, so today we're going to talk about uh, reactions that kids have after they are on an antibiotic or while they're on an antibiotic. Um, oftentimes we see these kids in the clinic um, with rashes, sometimes with, with other more serious symptoms. So would really like to just get a general overview of this condition, how often it's happening. I mean, there are some weeks where I feel like I'm seeing two or three kids in my office with some sort of reaction while they're on an antibiotic. And we have to have that discussion with the parents of teasing out, is this from a virus? Is this a true allergy? Is this in a more of a side effect from the antibiotic? Uh, one of the uh, statistics that I came across from the uh, practice support tool was that actually 10% of kids uh, in the children's system have been labeled as amoxicillin allergic, which comes out to about 50,000 kids in the system as being st um, not able to take this important class of medication. But then when you guys do your testing, only about 95% of those kids are not allergic. That statistic really stuck out to me as, you know, why this is such an important discussion. So mm. can you guys talk about how often you're seeing it, what the what we know the the bigger or the bigger data sets are going to tell us? Well, you're right about the the ten percent that um, are in our system. We are slowly working through those and trying to get those kids tested as well. Um, there is definitely a, a a seasonal variation with it. We um, you know certainly when those viruses are kind of going around, we will see a lot more of those reactions as well. Um, this past October was really um, heavy, certainly even in December. Um, we've been seeing the sequela of the, the strep that's going around now. I'm seeing that almost every single day, uh, kids have, with multiple episodes of strep. 
I think um, one of the things that we realized quickly was that you know more than we do about these. Um, so in, in allergy practice, um, we're not seeing these kids typically the day they're sick with a rash. So um, one of the things that we did was go on a journey at the beginning of this to try and understand what you see um, in your day-to-day -day practice. And um, so that when parents come in uh, and show us photos, some of which are very dramatic, we don't say, I've never seen that before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so we did a, a bit of that work at the beginning, looking at children coming into the emergency room and urgent cares at Cincinnati Children's and just reading through the stories of what symptoms they were experiencing them then. And we noticed that um, the parents were very worried about their children and sometimes coming in, leaving your office, maybe not your specific office, <laughs> but leaving a primary care office and, and four hours later going to their urgent care or going to the emergency room and then 12 hours later heading back to an urgent care setting and 12 hours after that heading back to an urgent care setting. So these were some patterns that we needed to learn to recognize ourselves. Uh, Trish has the advantage of having been in primary care that I did not have. Um, so I really learned from those who are coming into urgent cares. Because of this, we realized that there's not just a need for testing for amoxicillin allergy, which is what the penicillin allergy testing service does, the PATS clinic, and we'll talk more about that. But also there's a need to take care of these patients in real time. And so one of the innovations that we have pursued is offering families um, same day, next day telemedicine appointments for those who are experience, experiencing acutely antibiotic-associated rashes. And that's where the clinical practice support tool came in because we thought, let's put our knowledge on paper of what we're learning and what we learned from our, our research of, of patients coming into the ER and uh, provide something that would be helpful to pediatricians and also try and keep these kids out of the emergency room. And when we hit our tridemic of COVID, flu, and RSV, that was really important because families were sitting in the emergency room for you know hours and hours um, waiting for their turn only to be given a dose of Benadryl and sent on their way. And we knew that this would happen. So we tried, we've been trying to provide alternatives for families. And so we do offer um, Monday through Friday, same day, next day telemedicine for patients experiencing antibiotic associated react reactions, which generally are rash, but might include swelling, fever, joint, okay. joint complaints. And That's so, fantastic. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit later about red flag symptoms, things yeah. we should really be worried about. Right. But are there symptoms that often are scary to parents or even to primary care pediatricians that you guys have learned through your experience and through your research maybe aren't as bad as they, are, as they seem to the parents or to us? Absolutely. You know, there's a few things that really scare parents a lot. Fevers are one of them, and I think rashes are probably right up there with it as well. Um, I think what really influences them is what that family history is like. So if they have someone in the family who thinks they're allergic, the minute that first little mark goes on the skin, they've already diagnosed the child allergic. Um, definitely the swelling that comes with that, whether it be in the face or the hands and the feet, is very concerning to, to parents as well. I often hear them say that when they see that swelling in the, the face that they worry about the airway. Mm -hmm. um, so those are very, very concerning with the, the parents as well. 
Okay. And when we first got started, it was very concerning to me as well. And I know it's still concerning to my allergy colleagues who don't have the experience that we have of now this recognizing patterns that kids experience and knowing that after three or four days, it's going to get better and that it doesn't lead to difficulty breathing generally and, and that it is a frustrating, worrisome disorder for families, but it is has no, it's not life-threatening. It is not, it is a nuisance um, and it takes time to go away. I think the other big frustration for families and why they go back to urgent care and ER and your office again and again is that our typical medicines that we assume would make a difference do not. And that is short-acting Benadryl, four hours later, they look worse. And that's when they're heading back to that next mm -hmm. visit. Or perhaps somebody gave them a dose of steroid. There is nothing like a dose of steroid to make a family feel that that should have melted and gone away. And when it's still there the next day and the day after that and the day after that, clearly you didn't know what you were doing yeah. when you saw my child <laughs> and put them on steroids. <laughs> so, Well, that's great. Um, so, Tricia, you had mentioned a, a seasonality, that there are certain times a year, certain outbreaks of viruses that that seem to be associated with this a lot. Um, has there been any research into or tracking with in conjunction with ID as far as is there a time of year that we tend to get those viral exanthems that get us confused or certain viral players that are more likely to cause this? Not that I know of. Or okay. I don't know if you... Yeah, we did publish. We looked at seasonality in the in our ER study. And, okay. um, and we differentiated. We had this hypothesis that um, the hives would be in the winter and then the um, maculopapular exanthems would be with the summer viruses. Mm -hmm. And to some degree that was true. I think what we saw more than anything was that during the winter, you, we saw this peak of urticaria. And we already knew that because um, in allergy offices, we say, it's January. That means we get to see hives <laughs> because kids come in with acute hives, whether they're on antibiotics or not on antibiotics, they get worried about hives. Oh, yeah. And we would always call it January hive month. Hmm. It has now um, become January, February, March, I would say. <laughs> and perhaps a bit of that is just that families know about us and they come find us, <laughs> and um, especially if they're on an antibiotic. So, yeah, yeah, certainly we know a seasonality. What's new for me is seeing these kids in September, October, November. So it seems to be kind of two peaks that we're seeing now that we didn't see before um, in our allergy office, at least, because okay. we never would say, oh, it's October hives month. We didn't. Um, but we knew that we were going to see hives in January. So that's something yeah. new for me. I don't know why. I think even within the last year or so, I feel like we see the serum sickness-like reactions really concentrated in certain months. Yes. And that, you know, we could have 10, 15 a month, mm -hmm. and then the next month there might be two or three. And so you definitely see a pattern with that. And you can kind of feel it coming uh, on, when the calls start coming in. Yep. Um, and then we'll just keep seeing them over and over again. Okay, well, we get a little bonus episode on viral-induced hives. So thanks for that. <laughs> yes. Um, what about the pr general prevalence of allergy versus the kids we found who are mislabeled allergic? Um, you know, how has that played out as you guys have done more and more in your uh, uh, penicillin allergy testing service? I don't like the term mislabeled as allergic. Here's okay. why. Because um, these kids experienced allergic symptoms while on an antibiotic. I don't know if they were ever allergic to the antibiotic. 
So I'm not really sure if it's a mislabeling or not because I can't tell you exactly what they had an allergic reaction from. Um, And because 95% don't have repeat allergic symptoms when they're taking the antibiotic alone, we say must not have been allergic. But they were allergic. They had allergic Mm -hmm. symptoms to something. Right. So... People ask us a lot, was that a mislabel? Did they grow out of it? And we just kind of shrug our shoulders and go, sounds like a great research project (laughs) for the future. (laughs) You can at least say we've cleared them with our recent testing. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, uh, um, people say, oh, it's a mislabel. I don't know. I'm uncomfortable with that term. Sometimes we use verified, unverified to kind of, you know. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when we get these kids in our office, um, you know, we've, we've put them on an antibiotic for a, a bacterial infection, let's say strep throat. Four to five days later, they come in with a rash of some sort, and we're left asking questions. You know, the rash may be present when we're seeing them in the office. It may not be. We may be dependent on pictures as well sometimes. Um, what do you think the most important questions are to be asking? Um, what are the things you're looking for that really would start to worry you and would require more urgent referral to allergy or even... Um, you know, starting them on a more intense regimen of medications, whether it's an antihistamine or sending them home with, with any sort of emergency medicine. We like to ask, kind of get a general picture of been, what's been going on in that child's life in terms of who else is sick at, at the home. Uh, what do they have? Has there been, you know, fever for several days? Um, is, you know, trying to look for any other, you know, possible reason why this this rash has happened. Um, we certainly like to kind of know, like, what day it started, you know, how long had you been taking it, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, for us, when we see them, we've, they've kind of already gone through that process mm-hmm. with you. So it's always helpful to know what kind of treatment was done and, and did that help. You know, a lot of times the antihistamines don't help with some of these. Um, actually, very rarely, it almost yeah. seems like it might help more with the itching, but it certainly doesn't do a whole lot with uh, the rash. So that kind of helps us paint a picture. We definitely love to see photos of the rashes, and, and thanks thanks to smartphones mm-hmm. now, almost everyone mm-hmm. has, has pictures to show us. Uh, the interesting part is the majority, especially for the younger kids, these pictures are done in the bathroom because <laughs> after a nice warm bath, these, these rashes are very prominent, and that usually uh, concerns parents. So we do see a, a lot of photos um, when they've gotten out of the bathtub as well. And you mentioned timing, you know, mm-hmm. when the rash started in relationship to, you know, the beginning of the illness, the beginning of the medication. Can you give any pearls as far as, you know, what what timing is more reassuring? What timing is more concerning? Not really. Okay. So <laughs> that's, that's right. The majority of them are going to be delayed. There's mm-hmm. hardly any immediate reactions, even uh, for those kids with a history that right after the first dose, they, they broke out in hives. When we've tested them, they've done totally fine. Wow. Okay. Um, it just kind of helps us, you know, paint that full picture. Um, just to, you know, we don't necessarily, sometimes it helps in, in terms of are we going to split the dose in half? Or are we going to, you know, give them a whole dose when mm-hmm. we do the testing? But And how much does family history come into play? I mean, so many people come in and say, oh, well, grandma's allergic to amoxicillin and uncle's allergic to sulfas. And, you know, I'm allergic to this and that. So they, I have parents who don't even want to start those kind of medicines mm-hmm. because of the family history. So does that play a role in your guys thinking with family history or is it? 
more it's, just individual it's to the child. It's never confirmed in the family members either. So you okay. have to assume that 95% of grandmas don't are not really allergic either. Good point. So if someone says, oh, I was confirmed and verified, and so was my oldest son confirmed and verified, you know, then I, then I want to study. <laughs> like maybe we have, we're onto something here. But if 95% of family history is not a verified allergy, then it's really hard to answer that question. Okay. And we really try and tell families that it's unlikely. Okay. But I did want to get back to your question about red flags. Mm-hmm. And so there's two red flags for me. It's really a question of the red flag for what. So I mentioned one, which is reutilization of healthcare. And as a primary care doctor, you know, that's something that when these folks come to you while experiencing reactions, that should be something that you should think about. Like, okay, what are the red flags that would mean that this child is going to leave my office and actually head to the ER next? So that's red flag number one that I want to address. And then the other red flag is when should you be worried that the child should head straight to the ER? So two different scenarios. The first scenario is children who, toddlers especially, young toddlers experiencing hives, and it they are, and nothing else yet, on day 7 to 10 of an illness where they're on an antibiotic like amoxicillin for an ear infection, the next day, those hives are going to look worse. And six hours later, they may have lip swelling. That's really worrisome to the families. Um, so a toddler with new onset hives in the middle of these hive seasons that we're talking about, they will often, well, I don't know often, they will progress in some cases to swelling that's very scary for the families their hands and feet can swell and benadryl and steroids don't prevent that progression Um, so a red flag for me as a for a pediatrician would be if you see new onset hives and nothing else yet it's important to have a conversation with the family of saying you can try benadryl but this may progress and you may require a longer acting antihistamine. And so I'm not a big fan of Benadryl, frankly, because it wears off in four hours and kids feel sleepy and then they look weird when they feel sleepy. Um, They don't act right or they're up all night. So we really love to teach people to bypass the Benadryl entirely and just move to something that's non-sedating, long acting, knowing that they're in this for the long haul anyway. And then let families know you can take it even twice a day. You can take this, whether it's cetirizine or um, any of the others, loratadine or, uh, um, I'm blanking on the Allegra. <laughs> Thank you, exvanadine. Um, to start there rather than short-acting antihistamines. And then also know that there's a good chance that tomorrow they're also going to be sick. And so you know, figure out where can they be seen because the family's going to be really worried about it when they still have hives tomorrow. And they're probably going to look worse tomorrow. These are, to- I'm talking about toddlers with hives. Mm-hmm. So that's where we, you know, offer our services to be able to help see them the next day for you and just reassure them, tell them all the same things you did. This is going to get worse before it gets better. Cut their nails really short. Don't throw them in a hot <laughs> bathtub. Don't go to the ER. They're just going to give you a dose of Benadryl. That's, so that's red flag number one for me as a toddler with hives that actually doesn't look bad yet. <laughs> okay. Because if they do, 
they're leaving your office and going to urgent cares. And they, they anticipate that that's really going to be important for them to get that care in an urgent care setting when in reality they're just going to get a dose of Benadryl and sit for a really long time. And yeah. when that dose of Benadryl wears off, they're going to head right back into your office or emergency room. So you can kind of um, prevent that from happening mm -hmm. by using longer-acting antihistamines, but also telling them this is not going to get rid of your symptoms and it's going to get worse before it gets better. Right. I feel like that's some of the, sometimes it looks like we have superpowers when we predict yeah. what's going to happen, but yeah. it's really just good it, teachers it's telling helpful. us what's going to happen. It's super and helpful. And then yeah. if they don't experience that, no big deal. Great. Yeah. You know, the next sure. day they're cured anyway. So <laughs> you look like a star either way. Yeah. And then the, but the second red flag is what, what should worry you when you see something in the primary care office that you actually should send them directly to the emergency room? And it is not hives for three days. Um, hives in general are, are pretty benign. But some of the, um, if you start to see like uh, eye, eye injection, mm -hmm. um, so like conjunctivitis type symptoms that you don't think is coming from adenovirus, but like bilateral eye injection, photosensitivity, bright red lobster face, um, total body erythroderma, redness from head to toe, uh, fever in the setting of that with eye injection and certainly any blistering rashes, we would suggest you send them to the emergency room. Maybe call us on, your, on their way. Okay. We'll see them. Does that help answer that question? Very too? much. Yeah, okay. that, that's perfect. I mean, what what are parents going to worry about and what should we worry about? So right. that, that's, and they're that's two totally exactly different things. Exactly what we need to know. Yeah, yeah, they're two totally different things. And I've had a lot of people recently who were told that in the pediatrician's office, this is going to get way worse before it gets better. And if they have that ahead of time, mm -hmm. a lot of times they, are, they don't go back to the emergency department or urgent care because they're like, well, they said it was going to get worse and it did get worse. And um, they, they trust that opinion mm -hmm. from you. Yeah. Uh, you've touched on a little bit of management already in our office with the longer acting antihistamines, some practical things like, like clipping their nails short. Any other more practical tips, uh, you know, types of baths to take, certain creams, any lotions that we can recommend to the families? Yeah, those, I usually tell them anything that's going to kind of get their body temperature up if they're running around playing and kind of getting hot and sweaty or, or certainly after a warm bath, that rash is going to look worse. It does not mean that they are getting worse, um, that you can kind of manage it with a cooler bath. Um, we do sometimes do some topical steroids as well if they're particularly itchy and the, the Zyrtec doesn't seem to be helping as much. Um, some, um, some of our trainees taught me to take the steroid creams and throw them in the oh. fridge which oh. is so clever yeah because then it feels really good when it goes on because the oh, rashes really? are hot yes yeah. they're very warm to touch and they can be tender mm -hmm. so yep. how often do you recommend adding in an h2 blocker like a famotidine or something Usually once we see that swelling, either some in the hands and feet or in that face, or certainly when we get to the, the joint symptoms as well, we will mm -hmm. add in that, that uh, famotidine. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, so speaking of that, so progression into other, other systems, if the kid is experiencing diarrhea, if there is joint swelling, um, does that raise the need to get allergy involved, or do you feel like that's still within the same spectrum of common antibiotic-associated reactions? Get us involved. Get you involved. Okay, good. <laughs> the reason <laughs> is because they're going to go to the emergency room. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's just super reassuring for them to get online with us and have okay. us with them in their um, 
living room mm-hmm. and saying sometimes it just helps having yeah. another person say yeah. the exact same thing they yeah. heard before to Correct. validate that and then also know that they can pick up the phone and call us and okay. and and we'll be there for them and for the local pediatricians what's the easiest way to get the families connected with you guys with that next day service they would call uh, 513-517-PATS okay p-a-t-s and that will get us directly into our office great we actually have a real phone People answer the phone. It's not a phone tree. So when we have these kids in our office and, you know, it's the short term, we know how to manage them. You've taught us, you know, uh, longer acne antihistamine, supportive care. Sometimes we're seeing these kids later in the course or it's an unclear story. What kind of kids would you suggest would be good to refer to the, the penicillin allergy testing service, the PATS clinic? Uh, thanks for the question. Let me turn it on you. Who would you not refer? Because you know what you know what you know, that sure. this is an allergic reaction. Sure. Um, you know, when I'm looking at a kid's chart and it says, you know, on the allergy tab, it says amoxicillin. Sometimes somebody has gone in and put some notes as far mm-hmm. as what it was. Was it hives? Was it a was it a rash? Was it erythema multiforme or, or serum sickness or something? You know, those last two, I usually wouldn't even refer to allergy clinic because the reactions seem to be so serious that... I wouldn't even think to test it because with EM or with a serum sickness-like reaction, that's that's such a such a serious reaction, we wouldn't even test it. So that's mm-hmm. that's who I would not refer. I would more so the kid with the hives, the kid with the, the macular papular rash. Yeah. What what thanks for that. What do you think? Well, first I want to talk about erythema multiform. So erythema multiform is actually a blistering rash that occurs after HSV or mycoplasma pneumonia generally, and not with antibiotic-associated rashes. Erythema multiform is actually a rash that occurs on the hands and feet in sun-exposed areas, tip of the nose, top of the ears, um, and it can look somewhat like hives, but it's within the first day it's blistering. And what these babies experience, and we always call erythema multiform because we're used to that pattern recognition, we like to call erythema multiform-like rash because it does not progress to blistering. More that target shape. It is a target shape. It'll start as hives, and then within 6 to 12 hours, they start to look dusky, right? Remember? Mm -hmm. And they get those purple centers, and now you're calling it EM. So am I. They look bruised all over. They look bruised all over. The parents are really scared. Yeah. Yeah. The parents call it the leopard rash. I look at that and I say, oh, I know that kid's not allergic. Perfect. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> so you think... Surprising, so right? Kid, very much. Yeah. Yeah, because that's that's the opposite of what I would have expected. I know. So... I, actually, I, I, I tell um, the trainees to not spend more than five minutes in the room before we give them oxacillin. And they look at me real surprised. And I say, well, there's really nothing that would keep me from testing them to amoxicillin. Okay. <laughs> because we haven't run into anything, well, other than a blistering rash would certainly prevent me from doing that. If you had experienced Stephen Johnson's mm-hmm. true blistering rash, we're not going to go there. You can't go there. That's a, a serious cutaneous adverse reaction. But it turns out the erythema multiform-like reaction is not. Okay. What about the serum sickness-like reaction where they have, you know, a second wave of fever, they have joint swelling, they have pain? Yeah. Um, does that fall into a similar category? or? No. It, I mean, yes, it, they're typically not allergic. Okay. Yeah. And and Trisha and I have grown in our comfort level with this over the years. Um, there was a great publication that came out a couple years ago 
um, with the first hundred kids, you know, given a max challenge, came out of um, Canada, and showing that 90, 90% were non-allergic, and um, it empowered us. We had been doing skin testing and then proceeding cautiously with challenge with some of those, but it was a real hard sell to get families to follow through, and there hadn't, hadn't really been anything good published about it. Uh, we've probably done 100 ourselves already wow. now, easily, yeah. and we don't do skin testing anymore, and we do oral challenge. We know we can tell families there's a 90% chance that they're not allergic. So we usually use 95% for, for families, but something different about those children who experience serum sickness-like reaction in that they may do that without, experience that again with a different antibiotic, or with no antibiotic whatsoever. Okay. So there's something different about those kids, but I don't think it's the antibiotic. It doesn't seem to be a reaction to the antibiotic, but occasionally we'll see kids who experience a serum sickness-like reaction to amoxicillin in, in November, October, November, and they come back in March and they experience it to a separate antibiotic in March. And so now they're coming to us because they've got two allergy labels. Mm. And I just look at that and go, well, lightning doesn't strike twice. <laughs> it can't really be the antibiotic. Right. And we, we work really hard to convince families, but you'd be surprised. A lot of families are like, well, yeah, it can't be the antibiotic because it happened again. It was a totally different antibiotic. And they buy in, so. So then the, so then the kids we would want to send to the Pats Clinic would be pretty Everyone, much anybody anyone. with a, with an amox or any. No blistering well, is it, rashes. Is it mostly for amoxicillin or do you guys also do testing mm. for cephalosporin allergies, isothermycin allergies? You know, we, we see all sorts of lists of allergies on, on charts and always yeah. it's great to clear them, but sometimes that's a challenge. Yeah, and through the penicillin allergy testing service, we pretty much do most of the oral antibiotics okay. at this point. Yeah. And as far as referring, we put the referral through the system, have the, the families call the phone number. What's the usual um, time it takes to get into clinic? Well, it depends on kind of when their, their reaction was. We really like that, that initial reaction to have calmed down and, and been over. So we, we will kind of push that out about a month. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much where we're booking anyway. And we're kind of full about uh, four to six weeks out at this point. Okay. And then what should we tell parents to expect at those visits? How long is the visit going to take? What are they going to see? Who are they going to see? What are they going to do? Well, I like to tell the kids this is probably the easiest thing that they'll do at Cincinnati Children's. Mm -hmm. um, we very rarely do any skin testing anymore. I'm going to say maybe less than 5%, probably somewhere maybe around 1% at yeah. this point. Okay. Um, almost entirely, it's just an oral dose of that antibiotic, and then we monitor them for a full hour after that. Uh, occasionally we'll send them home and have them do some extra doses at home and sometimes we don't it really just depends on what that index reaction was and how early in the course they kind of had their symptoms okay and what's the thinking with the, the one hour observation time to you know I think to a lot of families and even to me that seems pretty short <laughs> like because a lot of times the reaction they had with the initially that prompted the referral is three to three to four days in um, yeah. So what, what's the thinking with the one-hour observation? So I kind of, sometimes I'll tell them it's like a two-step testing. That, that first step is really to rule out that immediate allergic reaction, which is very rare anyway with oral amoxicillin. Um, and then they go home with instructions just to kind of monitor for about 48 hours, looking for like a delayed rash from the dose we gave there in the office. Um, and then at that point, if everything's fine, they'll, some, some of them will start those extra doses at home. Um, if it was kind of late in the course where they, they had this reaction, we hear the same thing. Well, this started on day seven, so how is this testing going to, to pick this up? 
And we usually remind them that, you know, for these allergies, your your body remembers. So you really should see these kind of, if it's truly an allergy, you should see it a little bit earlier. We don't really need to do that full, you know, seven-day testing. Mm -hmm. But sometimes those extra doses are a little bit more, um, gives them a little bit more confidence in the testing. And, and they realize that if they can get through those, they're, they're more likely to then be receptive to a, a full course of amoxicillin in the future. And is there a minimum age for the for the Pats Clinic? No. Okay. One the month after. Maximum age is just the maximum age for children. Exactly. Yeah. I think probably the youngest is uh, maybe around six to seven months that mm -hmm. we've seen. Um, the majority of them are toddlers and school age kids. That's who's taking antibiotics. Right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, I think those are all the things that I wanted to ask about today. So I do appreciate your guys' time. Uh, I would like to remind the listeners that uh, today's podcast does offer uh, continuing med medical education credits. You can go to the notes of your podcast app to claim that credit. And also the Antibiotic Associated Rash Community Practice Support Tool is available at CincinnatiChildrens.org. Uh, Tricia, Kim, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you. have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Alandro. Andrew.